I, so I think I stood off the train onto the platform and I think I just face planted because I, w- I woke up and had a few people around me and that was already the second heart pause. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There are many lessons learned from the circumstances of 2020, but many of us are realizing the value of our health and living life to the fullest because who really knows what's around the corner? The changing mindset is changing the shape of Australia's hospitality industry. And over the last eight months, we've heard so many stories of adversity and change, but the challenges and will of today's guest are extraordinary and inspiring. Daniel Duffy Sykes is the co-owner of Cabana Cafe on the central coast of New South Wales. Daniel, how are you going? Good, thank you. Daniel, you opened your first ever hospitality venue with your brother, Josh, during a pandemic. Can you take us back to that time? Yeah, well, um, it was kind of pretty much just a blessing in disguise for us. Um, We kind of just took it as it came and it was a combination of as well, we had our own surgery going on at the time and having heart problems. So we kind of just took it how it came. And as COVID hit, we were lucky enough to be graced with this opportunity. Cafes are challenging enough uh, to run, let alone the health complications that you and your brother have had, which we can get into shortly. But what what was it like in those early stages of just taking over a business and and being your first and um, dealing with COVID? Yeah, well, yeah, we weren't. We definitely were not planning for that, and it was it was a shock. It was a shock and a surprise. Um, we had a lot of support around us at the time, which we were lucky enough. And um, our mum and our family grew up, and well, our, they're only ten minutes away with their family house. So whatever we did need, we'll, we, we did have phone calls and we'll, we were able to speak to our family, which helped. But um, with um, us in the kitchen and just being careful already with masks, and it was very hard. <laughs> but we took it as it came and we knew a lot of people were in the same boat with us. So we did know that the whole community was kind of there the same and we knew there was a lot of people around to help. <laughs> You and your brother have been on an extraordinary journey in the last couple of years, and it all stemmed from losing your father at a young age. Can you take us back to that time and and lead us into what followed for you and your brother? Yeah, of course. So um, when my my brother and I, we were, um, I was in year five, Josh was in year six, and our little sister was just about to start preschool. And um, our eldest one, our eldest sister was moved away. Um, but we had, obviously, we had a really close relation with her as well. So when it happened, we, um, mum was, ended up a single mother. So it kind of hit her just as traumatic as um, us kids. But we, we were very lucky as well. My brother and I, we were so close, only 16 months apart. So we were pretty lucky to have each other at school. And then with our little sister, we had her to, she could come to us as well as come to mum. So it was pretty big to have such a tight knit family there, but it was, it was a different, it was a shock to um, mum as well because it happened overnight. So it was the adult version of SIDS. So sudden adult death syndrome. So pretty much it was just like you woke up and 
that was it. So it was pretty crazy. We know, obviously, for our mum as well. But yeah, it was a it was a bit of a hit at a young age. But we pulled together pretty tight as a family, and that was what really pulled us together. As you uh, as you grew up and you became adults, your brother and I, and um, your brother and yourself, uh, had some health comp- uh, complications. Uh, can you take us? to that time when you started to notice things changing? Yeah, um, yeah. so it was only at, I was 21 and Josh had just turned 23. And um, we were both starting to work, like obviously we were about our midpoint in work. So we'd already done our apprenticeship. We'd done a couple of years out of work and we started to get to the stage where we were starting to do big hours again, <laughs> not much sleep and that sort of stuff to then... With Josh, he started in his sleep. He started having heart pauses. So what we found was pretty crazy that um, what Dad had was pretty much exactly the same as what we were having, and Josh was having his in his sleep, so pretty much identical to what Dad was having. But um, we kind of we think that it was more of a like a little blessing that we kind of got saved a couple times because Josh had probably. It was probably nearly up to like six or seven um, heart pauses in his sleep and now going up to 28 seconds. So we were pretty much getting told like um, we're not really sure how you are still like kicking with that long of pauses because it's when obviously your body starts to not react and everything starts switching off because your heart stops going. And, yeah, he, um, I was having mine awake. So we both had a completely different condition. So when Josh was having his in his sleep, I was then going to work and having them happen, whether I come off the train after uh, going to Iceberg. Um, it was a Thursday shift and it was only early morning at like seven in the morning. And I remember just waking up <laughs> face first off the train. <laughs> like, uh, so I think I stood off the train onto the platform and I think I just face planted because I, w- I woke up and had a few people around me and that was already the second heart pause. So I'd already had one with my brother around, which was pretty lucky where we were back on at our, lo- at our local home and I kind of just like fell asleep in the chair, slouch, and it was the same thing with Josh. We were both having the heart pauses. Mine were about 14 seconds and they weren't as long so we were going into doctors with two different conditions, one happening in sleep, one happening in awake. <laughs> so like we were even going to people that weren't really able to give us answers. <laughs> so that, that went it straight into a loop recorder pretty much and they wanted to have a recording device put in both of us just so they could monitor for safety. And within them seeing what was going on on our loop recorders, we had the loop recorders in for two to three weeks and they said, you got to come back in, get them taken out and get a pacemaker because they just saw what was going on was just not safe for us to be still moving around in public and working. They didn't find it safe enough for us to be going around. So that's, they were just like, you got to come in pacemaker time. <laughs> well, pacemakers are something that you associate with people of an older age and you and your brother, Josh, are the youngest brothers in Australia to have pacemakers put in. What, what was it like at that stage having, having that procedure and, and that impact on your life? 
Oh, well, yeah. So we, it was kind of, it was a little bit of, it kind of worked a little bit in our favor because of the factor of we were the youngest. So we didn't really have too many people that we knew. We didn't speak to anyone that had had one before. We knew a few family members, like um, obviously through our mum's mum and like some, um, some older people in our family. So it kind of helped us a little bit with not knowing what was going to happen. So going into surgery and having each other, being able to look up YouTube videos, like we're the sort of two that are looking up pacemaker surgery before our pacemaker, <laughs> just, to, just to see how it goes and what they do. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was an experience to get told, but having each other there, being able to bounce off each other, it, oh, it helped us massive. Like we were getting, we were hearing heart surgery, but then we were hearing like having each other there, being able to go in together, have like the same amount of work off together, like all that sort of stuff was helping a lot. What sort of impact did you notice having the pacemaker in? Was there, was there a, a change in uh, your um, life and the way you felt? Um, uh, well, my brother actually, so Josh got a double cord um, pacemaker and mine was a single cord. So he was feeling a lot more difference when it came to um, his zapping on his heart and, like, he was feeling all the bolts and the bolts. So he, he's um, where a year, Josh is a year and I'm two years out of surgery now and um, he's still, um, he's modified his whole way of life now to pretty much he's in the gym, he's in the water every day, he's swimming on sunrise because he's found all these other ways that he can distract the zapping and not feel it. So he has definitely had a lot more compromising when it comes to how he moves, how he sleeps and how he lives. Um, mine was a lot different at the start because of the single cord. So I had a few big advantages when it came to what I would feel during the day. And then when it came to my actual pauses, I could feel it. But we both jumped into a rental together as well. So when our surgery did come up, we jumped into a house together. We moved. I was in Sydney and Josh was on the Central Coast. So we got back on the Central Coast. We got in a rental together. So in our recovery, we were able to be in the same house. So being brothers that have grown up together forever and then that coming and being able to live in the same house for our recovery was incredible. Like being able to bounce off each other when it came to pain and with mine was earlier. So I got mine and then within the eight months, Josh got his after. So the advantage of being able to like help with each other's surgery was massive. So that's what we were really lucky. You were working at Barangaroo at the time. Uh, what, what was it like going back to work after um, a procedure like that? Did it change the way that you work as a chef? Um, uh, yeah, well, I, I had to think a lot just about how I was moving, um, definitely like how I was working in the kitchen because it was only a four-week recovery. So after that recovery, you got told you could go back into the kitchen but you weren't allowed to move your arm above your shoulder. You weren't allowed to lift any heavy weights. Um, like I was, I was little things like your yeah, oil drums and just like um, things like that. I would need to get my partner or my other person I'm working with. So there was a few little compromises at the start, 
but having the support of that kitchen and who I had around me with Matt Moran's company, um, my head chef, uh, Corey Campbell. Um, I had uh, my other sous chef, Adam, who was very helpful. Like I had people like jumping in front of me before I could pick something up <laughs> or take them into the train on my way back. So I would still be traveling back home. So it was a, if, if it wasn't for that kitchen and as well as the support I was able to go back to, I feel like it would have been very different. Your brother is a qualified um, mechanic and a carpenter and you're a qualified chef and now you're in business together. But you've worked for Icebergs and, as you mentioned, Matt Moran, some pretty amazing uh, operators. What, what, was, what drove you to hospitality? Um, uh, well, I think it was just the interaction with people I really enjoyed as a kid. Um, as a 16-year-old and oh, actually 14 to 15-year-old, my first jobs were working at a stadium. Um, so I was in a stadium and I was doing, I was only 14 to nine months. So I was doing work from like jumping on deep fryers and then jumping on registers and little things like in the footy stadium. So straight away, I just got this taste and then going to school, um, I had a lot of problems just with most subjects and just like little boys things. Like I was at an all boys school. So there was a lot of distractions. And when you are out of school where there's like a lot of sport, a lot of things to do, like class was getting a bit bored to me and just subjects in general. So I found a lot of love going to my hospitality class and going to my food tech class. And then with the teachers in there, I, I had an opportunity one day where I was getting a little bit, a little bit pushed out of the school by teachers in a way. And I had a suggestion from a food tech teacher if I did want to leave school, that there is opportunity for me um, with her. So the canteen lady at my school, her son had opened his first business and I was really good friends with her. And she said, if you do want to go start your chefing apprenticeship, like now is the age because I was just about to turn 16. And I was with the mentality of a, a young boy that I could go out and make money instead of going to school. <laughs> So I just, I fell in love straight away. I was going and jumping on my, on buses to go out to a job while my friends were going to school. And I was working at like a bar slash restaurant in like a hotspot on our central coast. And I was there all week while everyone else was riding lines. <laughs> so I actually found what I love through picking something really at school that I was in the only thing really I was enjoying and I thought there's got to be a reason why I'm enjoying it. <laughs> so it just, it fell perfectly with an apprenticeship and the timing. Manning the fryer at a football stadium is a little bit different to working in the kitchen at Icebergs. Can you <laughs> tell us about your time in that kitchen. Um, well, I, 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 was, I was in love. Like I jumped from my apprenticeship and I'd never really worked in a real kitchen. So I finished my apprenticeship and I was told on the Central Coast, like, you got to go see what Sydney's like. you got to go get a taste and there's a big difference down there. So I bit the bullet and was like, I'm going to jump on the trains and start trying to check out places. And Icebergs was just, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was in a movie every day, like from cleanliness to uniforms to um, like 
how the business was running with like staff members and like treat and care and just like how people talk with each other. Like I was just, I was in another world. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought that was, uh, that was definitely one of those dream kitchens that I was in. And I was just every day, I was just loving it. I was getting offered extra days of work and I would take the sixth day every week. So I didn't have to go back to the coast. I would stay down in Sydney an extra night to work again. <laughs> Take us into that kitchen. Do you, is there some of the dishes that you remember um, making in that kitchen? Oh, yeah. Um, a few that's definitely stuck with me was um, Monty had a burrata and tomato, oxtail tomato dish. Um, that was one of those ones that it was the fresh ball of buffalo um, mozzarella and he had his um, charcuterie meat all down the top so it covered it up and then all around the bottom of his plate he had like five different colored oxtail tomatoes all sliced into like a flower shape he has the, the white ball in the middle all the charcuterie meat like falling off and he had a uh, mint herb mint oil drizzled down the top of it and oh, the seafood and some of the fresh things that were coming into that kitchen, I couldn't believe it. It was the first times I was seeing live seafood. So it was like a mind, my, my mind was open. Like I was seeing like live lobsters and like bugs, Balmain bugs and stuff that were coming in, still crawling in the buckets and like incredible you and your brother bit the bullet at a quite a young age to open your very first cafe. He, his experiences come from uh, working as a mechanic and carpenter, and you've worked in some pretty amazing kitchens. What, what drove the decision to open a venue together? Um, well, with um, what we've both, we, we did work. My first job that was in my apprenticeship, Josh also, he was doing a lot of bar work. So while he was doing his mechanic trade, he was working as a bartender in the same venue as I was doing my apprenticeship. So from working at the stadium, Josh was also working in the stadium with me. And then when I did my apprenticeship, he was in the same bar as I was. So pretty much for the last eight years, we've both always worked in hospitality. Josh has always had it as a part-time job as well. And then coming back to the Central Coast with my old my old owner, um, who I did my apprenticeship with, was the one who offered us work while we were getting our pacemaker recovery. So he offered us work um, after not working for seven years with um, Brent. He offered us to come back in, work in his kitchen, and it could be like a safe haven for our recovery as well as make money. So, yeah, he took us in and the rental that we were staying at was his old rental so he got us into that rental and then I jumped into his kitchen and after eight months, Josh's surgery came up. And then he said, do you want, do you want to come into the kitchen as well and take um, Josh in? And then we we're both able to work in the same business with, yeah, with a bloke that we've known our whole lives. And it was like he was giving us like anything we needed in there. If we needed any help, he was helping us out. And then unfortunately when COVID came, he just had a young one. So he just had a baby boy. And then with um, COVID hitting, he needed stable work. And he'd been two years into the business now. So he went to the Air Force for shepping. 
so that's how that opportunity came up that he said like it was that business was his first business and he didn't want to give it to anyone so for us being there at the time he said that's what he felt was the right thing that he wanted to give it and pass it on to us so it pretty much just was like a year of fate how that worked out with yeah how the help we were getting from Brent our old um, best mate to old boss and then the opportunity happening with the cafe it was we couldn't we couldn't say no and because what we'd wanted like we said to ourselves we wanted our first business by 25 when we were 18 year olds <laughs> so we did, we were we've been pushing ourselves for our last eight years but like what with your five-year goals you plan things that you don't think are possible so when it came up we thought it was one of those things that like you say no and that's the first opportunity you could lose so we just we had to say yes we knew it's what we both wanted to do and our future we've always said to each other we want to we want to build our own cafe we want to be able to mow the lawns build the construction um cook the food have and we want to be able to do all of it so we thought that this opportunity could be the start of what we've always wanted <laughs> well it's not only just a cafe it's on the stunning copacabana beach can you tell us about the cafe yeah um so yeah it's our it's lucky enough that it, we grew up only 10 minutes from copacabana so our local school was in the area um our family is only 10 minutes away and Copacabana Beach was actually the place that all of us from a little bit in the suburb, we would come out here to spend our weekends in the water or in the jump trees as young kids on the coast. So if you were to go back five, six years um, and ask an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old where do they want their business on the central coast, um, 99% of people are going to say Terrigal or Copacabana Beach. <laughs> They're like the favorite spots and like the beaches, crystal clear water. Like we walk from our house down to the cafe within like a two minute period or one minute. It's a 60 second walk. Um, so we kind of just took, we, we had a dream of always having a spot on the beach with a cafe, restaurant, bar. So this came along and it was our dream suburb and Copacabana. It's, it's a holiday area on the central coast as well. So a lot of people um, from Sydney will come up and spend their holiday time in Copacabana. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of those places on the central coast that if you have the spare time, you'll go and spend every hour of the afternoon in the water. <laughs> You've worked at some pretty extraordinary restaurants, but tell us about your food. What sort of food are you cooking there? Um, at the moment, we're trying to push across our own Obviously, just in a, a simple Australian um, dining where we want, we've changed already um, with reasonable prices. So we're matching the area and just making sure that we are feeding people what they're paying for for now. Um, we've put across already um, a few of our own things on the menu. And for what we've learned throughout our last eight years of cooking, we want to start doing good burgers like really um fresh food that people are paying the right money for we've always gone around as um young ones in the central coast and even when we'd go down into sydney to eat food and a lot of the time to go out for people in the age of 20 to 25 you've got to have 100 or 150 dollars 
to eat, just a basic meal. So we just want to make sure that we are feeding good food, fresh meat, like we're pushing our own, pressing our own burgers every day. We're baking fresh banana bread, um, fresh muffins every day. Um, we just, we really want to bring a site across the fresh food. Um, we've always had a love as being Central Coast kids. We've, we always fish. We're always in the water. Um, we're always making, cooking food on the barbecue and stuff. So we want to put across, yeah, fresh, affordable Australian food. What's your favorite dish currently on the menu? Um, at the moment, it is a nasi goreng. So the Indonesian, one of their staple items of the country, but our, my old owner who I was saying, Brent, he did two years in Bali and um, he come over and when he came back to Cabana, he put across uh, um, half Australian and he's got a few Indonesian meals on there. And after my two years of cooking in his cafe, I found that it was pretty much his staple favourite meal for the public because they could sit on the beach and have an Indonesian meal with a beer. So I made sure that I learned that how he wanted it to be cooked. And then what I found was people would drive suburbs for it because, because it was from obviously Bali, unless you were to find an Indonesian restaurant on the central coast, you couldn't eat something like that. So he kind of absolutely just trumped the whole central coast because we had people come in 30 minutes or 35 minute drives to come order a Nazi to take back to their work and eat at their office desk. <laughs> so I really, I enjoyed that because I saw how many people it was making smile and how many people were coming for it. So I just, I fell in love with it. <laughs> you and your brother, Josh, have had pretty extraordinary health challenges at a young age and now you're running your own business together. What's, what's some of the challenges involved in running that business and keeping on top of your health with the pacemaker? Um, well, yeah, we've found that as long, each other where the main thing is focusing on looking after each other. So just with everyday stuff, if we ever have any little problems, we're always looking across at each other. Like because we spend, obviously, we live in the same house, we work together, um, we need to make sure we're both always happy and healthy. So when it comes to anything, if my brother looks at me and I'm, I'm having a little hard, a bit of hard time with my chest or I, I look across and he's having a little bit of hard time, we always will stop what we're doing, make sure we make sure that each other are okay. If it's you need to sit down for a few minutes because every couple of days we always have times in the kitchen where the zapping or the pacemaker is starting to affect like how you're standing or how you're working. So we'll make sure that we put each other before everything. So the health is one of those things that as long as we're both smiling, happy and healthy, all the other stuff in the kitchen, all the other stuff in the dining room, talking to customers, it's all natural and we just love it. So that's what we've found. If we focus on making sure we're both working 100% and our health is okay in the kitchen, the little challenges are more fun to us. The little challenge, like the frigid, like we have your typical business problem of your first two months of opening and there's a power outage. So the fridge um, parks it, stuff like that. So we will find more enjoyment out of the problems 
because we know we can put full 100% into it because our health is fine. So those little things that we're having people say, oh, it's a business problem. You can't, like the freezer, we've had a fridge and a, two fridges go in the first three months of opening. But we found it was one of those things that it's, it's how you react to it and it's how you fix the problem. So we were able to react a lot different because we're happy in the kitchen. We love going to work. We love how our bodies are running at the moment. So these problems that people think are big hospitality problems or like what ruin your day or ruin your week, we laugh and we smile. <laughs> well, you've had an extraordinary, uh, you're not even a year old business. You've had an extraordinary time already. What's your hopes for 2021 with the, with the business? Oh, Honestly, we're at, we're in the moment now of we're making everyone, the locals that we have around us, we're trying to make smile first and we've got that sorted. So we've got a massive community behind us right now. So 2021 will be about like bringing our own menu across, bringing our own nights. We're going to, we've started to get um, live music in now. So we've got a bar license and my brother, has picked up his um, RSA and we've got a bar license till 12 o'clock at night now. So um, we've always had a massive um, love for music as our dad was in the industry and um, we would love to start. We've already done two events, but we'd like to get some bigger events for live music going and just do some cool like music nights and burger and beer nights where we can have alcohol and a live bar. We have a cocktail menu already wrote and we have six cocktails on offer. So we just really want to get involved and invested in the community and our night events and just getting the central coast around us really. And because we want to, we want to, we want to give a bit more back. We grew up on the coast, but we had so many people around us that helped us. So we want to give a bit more back to our community. We don't want to go anywhere else and put anything in any other suburb before we look after where we came from. <laughs> so we want to make some people happy and we want to get some big families in our business and coming and spending their weekends, listening to music, eating good food, night on the beach. Um, we're excited to get behind some wedding events. Um, we'd love to start doing some events for people as well. And just any events, whether it's people wanting to have their 60th or their 50th or have a wedding even, we've got a beautiful spot down there where we can offer alcohol. You can hang out on the beach, spend some time with your family. It's beautiful spot. Well, it sounds extraordinary. And uh, you and your brother are extraordinary and inspiring. Um, it's great to see you adding colour to the Australian culinary landscape. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds to hear your story. Daniel, please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honour to be able to put our story a little bit more across to our community and our country. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke making this all happen follow us on instagram at deep in the weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deep in the weeds.com.au stay safe and be well <laughs>